The Mysterious Code Chapter 14 At the Police Station During the next few days, the Bob Whites of the Glen worked as hard as they had ever worked before setting the clubhouse to rights. The girls pressed the curtains and put them back on the windows. They rearranged on the shelves the things which they had made, dolls, aprons, repainted toys, small framed pictures. Mart, furious at the scratches on the cherry get-leg table, worked and rubbed till the marks disappeared. Finally, after what seemed like years, the clubhouse was in order again. Only the samurai sword seemed to be missing. Not a trace of them could be found. The burglars must have made off with them. It's a shame we didn't sell them to the Hakatsio brothers when they wanted to buy them, Brian said. Now we'll probably never see them again, and they won't do anyone any good. Trixie didn't think the police were trying very hard to investigate the robbery at the clubhouse. Why do they have to take forever to find anything out? she asked the others. I'd like to do a little investigating myself. Lay off it, Mart warned. You know what Mom and Dad said. No more sleuthing for you. I don't have time now before the show, Trixie said. But if I did, I'd... You'd what? Mart asked. Bull Thompson's in reform school, and he didn't give anyone a single lead on his partners. Well, there must have been some way of finding out who they are, Trixie insisted. I'd feel a lot safer about our show on Saturday if I knew that they were all in jail. She meant it, too, because one or two of the people who had promised Trixie some of their rare antiques have withdrawn their offers in the face of the publicity about the clubhouse being broken into. Another thing, she said, no one has ever found out who returned the old desk the night of the blizzard. I know Bull Thompson didn't have a change of heart. It's a real mystery. Maybe one of the other crooks in Bull's gang is a softy and returned it, Mart said. That isn't even probable, Trixie said. Anyone who would put gasoline rags around our clubhouse hasn't any heart at all. That night, after Trixie went to bed, she couldn't sleep. Her mind went back to the party, the music. It was wonderful, she thought. Then that awful time at the clubhouse, those gasoline rags. That fire might have been our club burning. I wish the police could trace those crooks. All at once, a thought struck her. Jeepers, she said to herself. I forgot all about that dog tag I found. It isn't Reddy's. Maybe it's not even Patch's tag. If it isn't, it might be a clue. I'll ask Jim about it tomorrow. On the bus the next morning, Trixie asked Jim to meet her in the library at study period. When he did, she took the metal disc from her pocket and turned it numbered side up and asked, What is this, Jim? A dog tag? Did it come off of Patch's collar? It doesn't belong to Reddy. One thing at a time, Trixie, Jim said. It isn't Patch's tag. It isn't a dog tag at all. It's the number of an automobile. An automobile? Trixie asked excitedly. Then it is a clue. It belongs to one of the crooks who stole the swords from the clubhouse. What are you talking about? Jim asked, feeling more and more confused. The night of the robbery at the clubhouse, Trixie said as she rubbed the disc to show the numbers better. 
I found this on the ground outside. Why didn't you show it to someone before? Jim asked, exasperated. I wish you wouldn't try to do so many things on your own. If the police had had it, they might have been able to trace the car a long time ago. Don't be mad at me, Jim. I didn't know it had anything to do with the car and the thieves. You could have tried to find out what it was before this. Come on, let's go and use the public telephone. You aren't going to call the police and give them my clue, are you, Jim? Trixie asked. It isn't your clue, Trixie, and the police are sure enough going to have to know about this key ring tag. I'm going to call the Motor Registration Bureau over at the county seat and see if they can tell me who owns the car with those numbers. Meekly, Trixie followed Jim out into the hall and listened while he called. She heard him ask for information, then listened to the answer. I have a good legitimate reason for wanting to know it, he said. When he hung up the telephone, however, she could tell from the look on his face that he hadn't been given the information. They say they never give it over the telephone, Jim said, only to insurance companies and the police. Then we'll just have to go and see Sergeant Mollison after school, Trixie said. You don't have to go, Jim said. I can go. Trixie said, hey, it's my clue. And if you think for one minute, Jim Fane, that you're going there without me, calm down, calm down, smooth your hair back, Trixie, Jim said. I just thought you'd have to help your mother or do some work at the club. There isn't anything I have to do to help moms, and most of the work is done at the club, Trixie said. Come along then, Jim said. But it wasn't that easy. When Jim and Trixie told the rest of the BWGs that they were going to do an errand in town right after school, Mart became suspicious. It's another one of Trixie's cases, as she calls them, Mart said, and I have another name for them. It, it'd be a big word no one can understand, Trixie said. Just try to remember, Trixie Belden, Honey said, that we are all members of the Bob Whites of the Glen. If you know something about the robbery that the rest of us don't know, you'd better tell us. Yes, Diana said. It seems to me you're getting so you think you know everything and want to do everything yourself. You're not even any fun anymore. I don't know what you're talking about, Trixie said, perplexed. We're talking about just what it is you have to do after school tonight that you can't tell the rest of us. If you're all going to be mad at me, I might just as well tell you, Trixie said. It's just that I found this tag the night of the fire. I thought it was a dog tag and that maybe it belonged to Patch. Jim says it's a key ring tag and that probably this number on it will tell us who owned the car the thieves made off in. We were going down to the police station to have them call the Motor Registration Bureau for information. Then we'll just go right along with you, Mart said. We don't want to be deprived of your company. Would you? He asked the BWGs. We wouldn't think of it, they chorused. We won't be taking the bus, Diana said over her shoulder to the bus driver, who was holding the door open. You call moms, Trixie said to Brian. Please, she'll think everything is all right if you call her and tell her we'll be a little late.
Don't bother to call, Honey said. Tom is going to bring Ma Mother into the station to take a train to meet Daddy in New York. I'll tell him to pick us all up at the school. We'll get home about the same time we would if we took the bus. So it was arranged. On the way to the police station, the Bob Whites passed the small retail store where the Hecatio brothers sold the produce they raised in their outlaying farms and greenhouses. Casio was in the window arranging a display when he saw the Bob Whites pass. He waved to them enthusiastically and called back to his brother, Otto. Together they drew open the window, grinning and bowing. Inside, Otto pulled out a bench and some chairs. Please do sit down, he invited. We're sorry, Otto, Jim said, but we have to hurry over to the police station. Won't take long, Otto said. Maybe have something more to tell the police. You missed something from Clubhouse night of the party, he asked. Trixie's face fell. The swords, she said. Now you'll never be able to buy them for your father in the museum in Tokyo. They were stolen. Hakatsio brothers have swords, Oto replied. We find them in a pawn shop in White Plains. Thief pawned them there. He did, Trixie exclaimed. Did you ask the pawnbroker for a description of him? Yes, Oto said sadly. He said he didn't remember who pawned swords. I do not think he tells the truth. Of course he didn't, Mart said. Those people are always afraid they'll get in bad with the law. Maybe the police can help jog his memory, Trixie said. We're going there now, you know, she said to the Hecatio brothers. Did you say you have the swords now? Yes, Miss Trixie, Oto said. Hecatio brothers buy samurai swords. We were going to take them to Clubhouse tonight, give them back to Bob Whites of the Glen. Here are your swords. Casseo unrolled the paper from the package. He pulled them under the counter and displayed the Satsuma samurai swords, polished and beautiful. When Martin, Brian, and Honey, and Diana exclaimed over the return of the swords and chatted with the Japanese, Jim and Trixie huddled in the background and whispered busily. We can't possibly accept the swords, can we? Jim asked the others, interrupting their polite conversation. The Hecatio brothers' faces fell. You not accept present? Oto asked. No, Trixie said. You want those swords to send to your father. They are yours. They belong in Tokyo. You paid money for them at the pawn shop, money you worked hard to earn. Makes no difference, Oto and Kaseo said. Then Oto continued, Money is for the children. We give swords. Maybe be lucky enough to buy them back at Antique Show. Both brothers grinned happily. Why not just consider lending them to us for the exhibit, Jim interrupted. We'd never feel right if you weren't able to send them to your father. The Hecatio brothers held a conference in quick, sibilant whispering. How much do you think swords sell for at show? Oto asked. Maybe a hundred dollars for the pair, Trixie said. I think that's what we plan to ask for them. Why? We pay only fifty dollars, Oto said happily, at the pawn shop. 
We pay you fifty dollars more. Then we own swords and you exhibit them at show. That right? It's wonderful, Trixie said. I'm so glad we will have them to display at the antique show. You like maybe to show other swords? Oto asked hastily. We sure would, Mart exclaimed. Do you have others? Yes, Cassio said. Six other swords. After antique show, we send all to Tokyo to our father. We have Japanese prints and carved ivory, too. You like to show them? Trixie clapped her hands delightedly. We'd love it, she said. Shall the boys pick them up tomorrow? If you like, we fix exhibit at showroom, Oto said. Kaseo nodded vigorously. We fix Japanese style, he said. That will be swell, Jim said. Keen, Mart added. Thanks a million, Trixie said. We have to go now. We'll see you at the showroom tomorrow. Goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye, the Hecatio brothers said, smiling happily. At the station, Sergeant Mollison groaned when he saw Trixie and her group. Oh, no, he said. Not again. What is it this time? Trixie told him about the Hecatio brothers and the swords, how they had bought them at the pawn shop and how the man who sold them said he could not remember who brought them in. "'We'll send a man over to inquire,' the sergeant said. "'I doubt if it leads to anything. It's hard to get information out of those guys. They seldom ask questions when anything is pawned. "'We'll look into it right away,' he added quickly when he saw Trixie's disappointed face. "'Is that all?' Trixie produced the tag and told of their attempt to get information about it from the Bureau. They have to obey the rules, the sergeant said. We'll see now just what they have over at the Bureau on this license number. He dialed, waiting for the sound of ringing, and then repeated the number on the key ring tag and held the receiver waiting. Yes, he said, that's right. No, that's the number on the tag. What did you say? Stolen? When? Yes, that's right. All right. Was it recovered? I see. Thanks. That clue led up a blind alley, he told the anxiously waiting BWGs. The car was stolen the night your clubhouse was entered. The White Plains police found it two days later. No harm done, just out of gas. Were there any clues as to who stole it? Jim asked hopefully. None at all, Sergeant Mullison said. It probably was the crooks who were trying to break into your clubhouse. The stolen escape car won't help us a bit. You'll hold on to those tags, Trixie. Might as well forget about the car, kids. Did he tell you what the car looked like? The man at the bureau? Trixie asked. Yes, Trixie he did, the sergeant said. It was a blue and white sedan. If you can make anything out of that, let us know, will you? There are probably a thousand blue and white sedans that pass here every day. Maybe we should have taken Mrs. Vanderpool's suggestion, after all, and added you to the police squad. Maybe you do need help, Trixie said. Our antique show will be held the day after tomorrow, you know. Don't I know it, the sergeant exclaimed. We will have lots of valuable things in the showroom by tomorrow night, Trixie added. 
Shall I detail the whole squad to watch them? The sergeant asked sarcastically. The showroom is on Main Street in plain sight. Your father's bank, Trixie, is right across the street. Is he going to call off the bank guard to watch your, your showroom? You kids are beginning to get on my nerves. We'll watch the place for you. Scram. The sergeant turned on his swivel chair to dismiss the BWGs. Chapter 15 The Most Fun Ever Tom had the two little lynch boys, Larry and Terry, in the car with him when he picked up the Bob Whites. This is a surprise, Diana said, and hugged her little brothers. Where did you find them? she asked Tom. Your mother went to New York, too, with Mrs. Wheeler, Diana, Tom explained. Miss Trask has the little girls with her, and the boys are going to stay at your house for dinner and the evening, Trixie. Oh, good, Trixie said. Bobby will be happy. He's been so lonesome for someone to play with. Can't you and Honey stay, too? She asked Diana and Jim. Your mother is way ahead of you, Tom said. She told me to dump the whole carload at Crabapple Farm. She'll really have her hands full. Not with us to help her, Trixie said. You don't know my mother. This will be fun. Isn't it wonderful that we have a holiday tomorrow because of Washington's birthday? We can have all day tomorrow to get ready for our antique show. And we don't have to think about it tonight. There's Reddy to welcome us, and your dog is coming too, Jim. Reddy and Patch ran out, wagging their tails, and the two dogs were good friends. Down, Patch, Jim commanded. Heel! Patch obeyed immediately. It won't do to tell Reddy to get down or to heel, Mart laughed. We've never trained him. We just play with him. He minds Bobby now and then when he feels like it. Reddy doesn't have to mind anyone all the rest of his life, Trixie said, not after the way he came home for help to help us when we were lost in the blizzard. There's Bobby waving from the window, she said to Terry and Larry. Run on in while we collect our books. Won't you come in for a cup of coffee? she asked Tom. Celia would crown me if I did, Tom answered. We have a chance to have dinner by ourselves tonight. I'll be back about nine o'clock to pick up everyone. That early? Trixie asked. That's an hour past the time Larry and Terry are supposed to be in bed. Diana reminded her. I'll take almost another hour to get them to bed. What difference does it make? Mart warned to them. Tomorrow's a, a school holiday for us. Let the kids live it up. How about 9.30, Di? All right, Diana said. 9.30. Will it be all right for Tom to come then, honey? If Tom says so, honey answered. The whole crowd followed the little boys into the house. Mr. and Mrs. Belden in the kitchen greeted them warmly. Put your wraps in the study, Mrs. Belden said. Your mother has dinner almost ready, he added to Trixie. Honey and Diana followed Trixie into the kitchen, tied aprons over their sweaters, and skirts and asked to be given something to do. You can finish making the Waldorf salad, Mrs. Belden said. Take this big bowl, the apples are already washed, and so is the celery. Chop them quarter 
the marshmallows and add them in too, and mix the whole thing together with a little mayonnaise. Make plenty of it. What shall I do, mother? Trixie asked. I know. I'll fix the hamburgers and shape the meat into patties. Nobody ever made them better than you, Mrs. Belden, Honey said. How do you do it? Even at Wimpy's, they don't taste nearly as good as yours. I add a slice of bread, crumbled and soaked in milk, to each pound of meat, Mrs. Belden said. Then I season the mixture with salt and pepper and just a little curry powder. Bread and milk? Diana asked, amazed. Yes, it keeps the juice in the burger patties, Mrs. Belden explained. It, it does something delicious to it, Honey said. Dice the apples and putting them into the bowl, I love to cook. You don't have much chance to practice it, do you, with such a good cook at home? There are times when I'd like to have a cook, Mrs. Belden said. This isn't one of them, is it, Moms? Trixie asked. No, indeed, not with such good helpers as I have. When you finish that, Trixie, you may spread the cream on the pumpkin pie. It's whipped and in the refrigerator. Make plenty of hamburgers, though. You'll never ask Larry and Terry again what you see the way they consume hamburgers, Diana said. Listen to that yelling. I hope they don't break anything. Our living room is childproof, Mrs. Belden said. I think they are helping my husband lay the fire in the fireplace. After dinner, we'll pop some corn and maybe roast some marshmallows. Something sells super, Jim said, as he and Brian went through the kitchen to get some wood for the living room fireplace. What is it? he asked, and sniffed the mixture Trixie was preparing near the stove. The old Belden's standby... Mom's hamburgers, Trixie said. She says you never can make a mistake feeding kids hamburgers. Mmm, I don't know anyone could be as hungry as I am, Jim said, as the air filled with the fragrance of baked beans when Mrs. Belden brew a deep pan from the oven. Baked beans were my daily fare when I lived in the woods by myself after ten acres burned. Mine came cold out of the can though there's a, su a subtle difference when the food was ready the bob whites and mrs belden sat around the big table with mr belden in the dining room made extra large with the two added leaves as a lower table nearby the three little boys sat at first the twins were shy but bobby loving every minute soon won them over what is hot and cold at the same time he asked terry and larry don't you tell he warned trixie i don't know larry said water no bobby said it's pepper jim told me that one at the big table the family guests all joined hands while mr belden asked the blessing then the fun began Dishes were passed from hand to hand, bowls emptied, replenished from the kitchen, emptied again. Mrs. Belden's homemade ketchup, old-fashioned beet pickles, corn relish, all disappeared as though by magic. Casseroles of scalloped potatoes, the huge pan of baked beans, all were emptied. The salad was eaten, the dessert still to come. Honey and Diana and Trixie persuaded Mrs. Belden to sit quietly while they carried the plates and other dishes from the table. When the coffee was percolating, 
merrily as Mrs. Belden's right hand, and the cups waiting, hot cocoa or milk, and all the children's mugs, the girls brought in gorgeous servings of pumpkin pie. In the big living room, the fire roared up the chimney, sending a rosy glow over the old shabby room. Chairs and sofas were drawn into place around the fireplace, and huge cushions were placed on the floor for the little boys. The Bob Whites banished Mr. and Mrs. Belden from the kitchen and attacked the mounds of dishes. They weren't even aware of what they were doing. It was so much fun to do things together. Trixie remembered the time that afternoon when Diana and Honey had seemed so impatient with her and had told her she was no fun anymore, looked around at their happy faces and was encouraged. I just wish I needn't ever be so bossy, she thought to herself. What would I do without Honey and Di? I guess maybe, especially Honey, for she's my very best friend in the whole world. Something similar must have been going through Honey's mind because she put her arm around Trixie and hugged her. I love you so much, Trixie, she whispered, and everyone in the Belden family. When they went into the living room, Mrs. Belden was playing Simon Says Thumbs Up with Bobby, Terry, and Larry. They were falling all over themselves on the cushions, laughing so hard they couldn't obey one of the thumbs up, thumbs down command. You are supposed to obey me only when I say Simon Says, Mr. Belden explained. Try again now, boys. When the Bob Whites joined the group around the fireplace, Mr. Belden decided they would add forfeits as a penalty for failing to obey Simon's command. To make it easier, the forfeits would apply to any of the little boys. Simon says thumbs up, Mr. Belden said. All the thumbs went up. Thumbs down, he ordered. Honey and Mart put their thumbs down. Simon didn't say it, Mr. Belden explained. Mart and Honey must pay forfeits. Will you take the forfeits? he asked Mrs. Belden. Within half an hour, every Bob White had contributed something, a shoe, a beret, a wristwatch, a ring, a tie, or a bracelet. Redeeming the forfeits was lots more fun than the game itself, especially with the forfeits the girls gave. I know what to tell Trixie to do, Bobby whispered in his mother's ear. Trixie'll never do that, Bobby, his mother said. She'll have to, or she won't get her ring back, Bobby insisted. Go on, Trixie. So Trixie stood in the middle of the floor and sang the star-spangled banner. Her voice was true, and she did fairly well until she came to the high notes. And the rocket's red glare. She tried her voice cracked and failed, and she dropped to the floor laughing as hard as Bobby. Now you tell me what penalty to give Diana, Mrs. Belden said to Terry. The little boy whispered in her ear. I'm really going to enjoy this one, Mrs. Belden said. Diana blushed to the ends of her fingertips, leaned over, and pecked a kiss on Terry's cheek. That was the high point of the forfeit, and everyone laughed so hard they couldn't go on. After that, they knelt in a circle in the center of the room, and Mr. and Mrs. Belden knelt too. Trixie started the game. I went to New York today, she said. What did you buy? Jim next to her asked. 
A fan to fan myself, she said, and waved her hand back and forth. I went to New York today, Jim, then said to Diana on his other side. Did you really, Diana asked. What did you buy? A rocking chair and a fan, Jim said, and rocked back and forth while he fanned. Down the line it went, each one adding a purchase and acting it out. Most of them wobbled and fell and dropped out of the game. Terry and Larry and Bobby were tumbling all over themselves, trying to rock and fan to do half a dozen other things. Patch and Reddy ran around the boys, barking and adding to the general confusion and fun. They wouldn't excuse Mr. Belden at the end of the line from trying, so he fanned, rocked, held an umbrella, smelled a rose, winked his eye back of dark glasses, kicked his heels in new shoes, swayed to the music of a, rec of a record player he bought, and finally fell over while trying on a new hat. Then Mrs. Belden came in with the popper and corn. Jim whooped when he saw it. I couldn't down a grain of corn if my life depended upon it, he said. After that dinner I ate. I could, Bobby cried. I could, Larry and Terry echoed. So Mr. Belden brought in the big dishpan lined with wax paper. Mrs. Belden poured a handful of corn into the popper and handed it to Mr. Belden. It sputtered and crackled and popped in no time into enormous white kernels, which Mrs. Belden salted, buttered, and offered to the guests. Don't pop another grain, Honey finished. The twins will burst, Diana insisted, though she shook her head vigorously. I never saw them eat so much in all their lives. It's the goodest food, Larry said. The goodest food in all the world, said Terry, and I'm going to move to this house and live with Bobby and his family. Oh, moms, can he? And Larry, too? Can they stay forever? I'm afraid not, Bobby, honey, Diana said. But your mother said you will be able to come and see us tomorrow. And, tweenies, there's Tom now. He's come for us all. I won't go home, Terry sobbed. I won't, too, Larry said. Go home, Tom. Tell me a riddle, Tom, Bobby begged. Reagan always does. All right, Tom said, as he helped Diana and Honey button the howling twins into their snowsuits. Listen, he said, and miraculously they listened. What did the doughnuts say to the layer cake? Tom asked. I don't know, Terry yelled. Tell me, Tom. Don't give up, Bobby shouted. Don't tell him, Tom. I won't, Tom said, zipping the legs of the twin suit. What did it say, Bobby? Bobby thought and thought and thought, but he didn't have the answer. All right, I give up too, he finally said. What did the doughnut say? If I had all your dough, I wouldn't be hanging around this hole, he said. Come on, kids, let's go. Mrs. Belden brought out some cookies and an extra pumpkin pie and put them in a basket for Tom to take home to Celia. It's the most fun we've ever had in all our lives, they all insisted as they trooped out. Trixie and the boys followed them, coatless outside to the station wagon. Bobby called goodbye 
constantly from the doorway, and the twins answered, waving till almost fell from the seat beside Tom. Just before they left, Tom called to Trixie. You've heard about Bull Thompson's Uncle Snipe, haven't you? Yes, said Trixie slowly, wondering. What about Snipe? He's back at the bookie business on Hawthorne Street, I guess, Tom said. I saw him the other day after Diana's party driving a big blue and white sedan. Say, he could have been there when the clubhouse was wrecked. Blue and white sedan, Trixie exclaimed. There was a blue and white stolen that night. I wonder about Snipe Thompson. He just could have been angry enough at me about Bull to want to burn our clubhouse. Sounds like Snipe's doing, Tom said. I think he just out of prison after serving time for robbery. Forget about it tonight, Trixie, but better check on it with Spider in the morning. I will. Thanks, Tom. Wait till I tell Spider. That Snipe's a bad one, Tom said. Will everyone in? He asked the wheelers and the lynches. Guess Reagan and I are elected to pick up the antiques tomorrow for the show. See you then, Trixie. Let's go, kids.